Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Hello and welcome to the Rovers Chat Podcast. As ever, I am your host, Tom Schofield, and I'm joined by Alex and Ollie as we discuss the Rovers' start to the season, the summer transfer window, as well as answer some of your questions. It's shaping up to be a good episode, but first, a huge thank you to our sponsors, Six Yards Out and Blue Rose Capital. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods, including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. So, with the sponsor message out of the way for six yards out, and like I said, big thanks to Blue Rose Capital as well. I want to get straight into the nitty-gritty um, of the start to the season. Um, Alex Ollie, I think we're probably in agreement that it's exceeded expectations, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, and I'm, I'm going to throw it to you first, Alex. Are you happy with the start to the season that Rovers have made? Um, it's certainly not what we expected, being in the top six after, what, eight games? I think when you go on the pre-season predictions, Sean, predict 18th position. I think after the first seven games, you're six, then I don't think I can, uh, in all good conscience, complain about that. So, yeah, I think we've had a really good start to the season. I think the one game that we've lost, we were overpowered in the game. But I think other than that, I think genuinely across the board, we've been pretty competitive. Um there's been some kind of doubt about our away performances and is it sustainable picking up kind of the away draws that we've been getting. But on the whole, I, I can't really complain. And I think, you know, the one route, you know, the one opportunity you kind of miss opportunity would be the looting game, wouldn't it? And throwing away that two goal lead and thinking we hold on in that game and we are three points off the top of the league, which <laughs> on reflection and you know the mood of the club before the season started I think that would have been a real turn up for the Bucks so yeah I think I think the fixtures have panned out slightly easier than maybe they looked before the season started I think Swansea in the first game seemed like a hard game but has turned out to not be a hard game um, they seem to be much weaker than they were last season Um Hull obviously have come up from League One and I suppose when Rowe was up that kind of quality in that second half, they overpowered them. So I think on the whole, and obviously Forrest away, who've had a shocking start as well. So let's not get carried away is what I said to it, but absolutely. Seven games in and 13 points on the board and you can't complain whatsoever. So yeah, really pleased. No, and Ollie, Alex touched on it there that perhaps games have been a little bit easier. I think that's a bit unfair to the performance against Swansea in particular. Whilst they weren't brilliant, this is a team that were in the playoff final last season. Um, they've certainly got some decent players as well. But in that game in particular, Rovers were very, very good with the press. 
do you think that's slightly unfair from Alex or would you agree with that and say, yeah, you know what, they've been a bit easier than we anticipated? No, I, um, I guess like in our, the message groups of this, of the podcast and stuff, I think, well, I predicted us to be top half, so I can sit here quite happy because uh, <laughs> um, I wasn't too worried about the season to come. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say the fixtures have been easy. Again, it's something I keep banging on about. I think if you look at the top of the division, Bournemouth have sorted themselves out. I think Sheffield United probably look like they're going to... You've got Fulham and West Brom, and I think everyone... People talks about Stoke being a dark horse, but I think the the rest of the division is pretty poor. I think the teams that have come up are struggling, um, and I think that's a surprise. Derby are struggling; that's not a surprise. Um, Forest are going through managers again, which isn't a surprise. And the teams that were really good last season were obviously not going to be as good this season. Um, you know, Swansea lost some of their best players. Barnsley lost their manager. Um, I've got a young side. They're kind of on the crest of a wave. The teams that traditionally are really good aren't as good currently at the moment. You know, not that convinced by Bristol City. Reading have got financial issues. It's it's a very poor division beyond probably what's going to be the top three or four sides. Um, we're we're not an amazing side. We're a fairly decent side. I think I think the reason I said I think we'd be top half is that with a bit of a kind some kind of fortune with injuries, um hopefully this season, which you know so far so good. Um and the first eleven, yes, we've lost Adam Armstrong and Harvey Elliott, but the first eleven is pretty decent. Um that I thought would be okay. Um and if actually with a bit more a bit more consistency at the back, we'll probably hopefully put us in good stead. So um yeah, we've looked okay. Um quite quietly quite happy of it. Probably didn't think we'd be sat in sick. Um didn't think we'd score in the first seven games, having lost our by far our top scorer. But I don't I actually don't think we scored in seven games on the spin last season. So um it's been nice to see, I think, before the season started, Mowbray said he was going to have to um, kind of modify and be adaptable with our tactics. And it's been quite nice to see us um, kind of concede possession of the ball. I think we went those first few wins. Um, we had the minority of the ball, um, but were really effective in our press and forced errors and were quite clinical when the chances came. We've scored way more goals from set pieces at a current rate than we we were awful last season with it, despite having good good dead ball players and some good aerial options. Um, we scored a few headers. Uh, you know, Ayala's got a couple as well. Um, so the goals are being spread around a little bit. Gallagher and Brereton are hitting the back of the net and look decent. Um, so yeah, from my point of view, it's all okay. Um, I fully expect us to be in the top half, um, largely because of how bad the division is. Um, and if you can, you know, yeah, kind of keep keep um, all of our key players sort of relatively fit and we've got Dak to come back, 
players like Wharton that will kind of provide cover um, for key injuries. Um, plenty of options in central midfield and some good wide attacking options. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sort of quietly sort of quite happy with how things are going. Um, and but yeah, expectations are low and quite rightly because of what happened last season. But um, probably the nice thing is, is that we can just sort of quietly get on with things. I think we've got an OK, if if we sort of thought the fixtures that have been so far look slightly kinder on, were sort of turned out to be not as bad as sort of feared, apart from the West Brom game. Um, the kind of fixtures to come um, probably after the Cardiff game looks like a reasonable run of games um, to kind of keep going and hopefully kind of continue regularly scoring and picking up points. Um, and yeah, I guess just let's just see how we start ticking along. Um, and yeah, maybe we might kind of surprise ourselves and actually be a bit more kind of consistent without kind of pulling up any trees, but sort of keeping ourselves in and around things. Definitely. I think you mentioned uh, flying under the radar. I think we couldn't do that last season, given some of the signings that we made and the fact that we had Adam Armstrong and Harvey, Harvey Elliott, the signing that I mentioned just then. I think it meant that people expected us to do something um, from other teams as well, which meant maybe they were a bit more wary of us. I think hopefully this season, like I say, flying under the radar might, might suit us. Alex, uh, I'm going to come to you. Obviously, we said we're happy with the start of the season, but you mentioned when you answered the question about Luton, um, is there any room for improvement so far? There's always room for improvement, of course, but if you were to pick pick an individual thing, what would you focus on? Well, firstly, I'd like to apologise for making the first mistake of the new podcast by referring to the first seven games rather than eight. So that was a disaster from the first minute. So I apologise for you on that one. Um, Prior to week, I would have said clean sheets. Uh, we conceded in every game, um, and we'd look like we would concede as well. We didn't look like we had that kind of game management and that solidity through the middle of the park. Uh, it felt like the um, appalling teams, at least we were playing, uh, getting enough chances away during the match to maybe sneak a goal. I've found in the last two games in particular, we've looked a lot more solid at times. Those kind of frailties have come back. Um, but to keeping those two clean sheets in the last two games has been uh, really crucial. I think one thing I would say is that I'm not so sure that Rothwell in that deeper role works, and I think it probably leaves Travis with a lot of ground to cover, and I think he's kind of struggling to do that at the moment. I think if I had one critique of the way we were setting up, that would be the biggest one. Um, I think aside from that, I think Obviously, the big boost has been Ayala coming back and actually performing. Um, because I think prior to this season, we were kind of insulting him, saying how bad the signing was. Or I think, you know, eight games later, we are praising him to the high heavens. You know, typical football fans, all of us. But yeah, um, Ayala, Ayala being back has been a big boost. I think Lenihan's raised his game next to Ayala. I think Lenihan's performed at a much higher level. And I think Kinsey has carried on his form from last season. Um, and I think there's been a bit of an element of, as Ollie said, um, kind of flying under the radar a little bit. I think if we continue to kind of be in the mix, 
in two or three months' time, then that, obviously that will start to change and um, people will start maybe taking a bit more account of us and maybe we'll study it a little bit more in depth. But as of now, I think it's probably just best if we um, keep doing what we're doing and see how long we can kind of keep on the cocktails of the uh, parachute clubs and uh, see if we can cause a bit of an upset. But yeah, there's not many, too many things I'd think uh, other than maybe that midfield area and then maybe the conundrum with he plays down the middle um, at the top of the pitch. Now, obviously that has been exacerbated by not getting that striker in the window, which we'll probably go on to talk about in a bit more detail. But I think we've worked out that Brereton can't really play there. He's more of a left-sided player. Um, Dolan hasn't looked really very convincing. Um, neither is Perveda in the few minutes he got. And um, Gallagher's never managed to be fit, fit enough for long enough. So that's a big uncertainty at the moment. And um, yeah, you know, I don't want to come on here and slam the performances of the team because we've actually done really quite well in terms of the results. So I can't be too critical of what's gone on. And I suppose I've just got to accept it that, you know, the quality of the side is much less than last season, I think. I think we'd all agree with that. So you're not going to see the same kind of standard of football, are you? I think it would be foolish to accept. You can't try and play the same style of football with inferior players and expect to get better results. You know, we're playing an inferior brand of football, which in my opinion is fair enough when you've got an inferior group of players. I don't have a problem with that. I think the name of the game in this league is each manager looking at the squad they've got and going... How do I actually use this squad to get the most possible points I can for this football club? And I think, I think Marbury's shown in his time at Rovers that when his back is really against the wall, when actually he's under more financial constraints and more kind of, I would say, squad constraints. And maybe looking back to when he first came into the club, he seems to get better value for money out of the squad that he's got when he's under those constraints. I think we're seeing that now again this season. I think we're definitely seeing him play a different style of football. I wouldn't. I would argue personally. I don't think it's that inferior. I think we've lost two main players. The other ones I take or leave. To be honest with you, um, Armstrong and Elliot, obviously the two standouts. Um, playing down the middle, it's the question that I think everyone's probably the question everyone's lips. Who gets that middle spot? I think Dolan presses very well from the front, but doesn't necessarily score the goals that he should. I think against Swansea especially, there were a few. He could have had an at-trick, the amount of chances he had, but he seems to tap the ball rather than put his foot through it. Um, and then you've obviously got Gallagher, who makes a nuisance of himself, but perhaps not the quality. And Burton, who I think can play down the middle, but just looks more of a threat coming on from the left. So I don't know why you'd change him and, and put him elsewhere. So you, you are right in saying it's a conundrum, and I guess... That is room for improvement, trying to find our best eleven. But I guess I guess we'll just see see where that leaves us though. I mean see what happens in the coming games. Um Ollie, finishing on this this part of the, the podcast then looking at the season. Can we keep it up? I mean, we've sort of touched on it, but not going properly. Do you think that Rovers can continue to keep up this form? Like you've mentioned, we've got some what people would argue favourable. Fixtures coming up. I'm sure that Twitter will be, be raging at me for saying that because, well, obviously we'll inevitably lose them all, won't we? 
but there are favourable fixtures coming up where you look at it and think, you know what, Ross can get something there. Can we keep it up? And if we do keep it up, do all of a sudden, like say, expectations start to rise and people then get frustrated when we do get the draws against a team like Barnsley? Rather than look at it as a point gained away from home, people look at it and think, well, we should be winning that. And that's when, the obviously, the, the arguments start. I think the... I wouldn't even necessarily say this is just because we've lost Adam Armstrong, but the I think the only th- what will stop us keeping it up is just scoring goals or, you know, that the moment to take your chance, you take your chance. Um, you know, the Luton game should have been, I think the results have been a fair reflection of every game. Probably, we, you know, we should have, we should have got the three points against Luton. Um, you know, Gallagher or Brereton should have made it 3-1 and finished the game in injury time. Um, but other than that, I think, I don't think anyone or any of the opposition could bemoan. You know, I think that even the draws at Middlesbrough, Millwall and Barnsley were, you know, I think if you win at home and draw away in this league, it, you know, that's that's pretty good form um, to be going on. Um, so I think a draw away at a playoff semi-finalist, despite losing a very good manager, um, is a good result and a clean sheet in my book. But again... Both teams had their moments that, you know, a bit more clinical. You can nick it 1-0 and whether it's fair or not, that's not what gets you in the top six. It's, you know, taking that moment. So I think the, you know, we've, there's, there's, you know, we've got Eden that should provide some competition for Pickering. We've got Rankin Costello should be back in the not too distant future which provides some cover and for Nyambe and got Dan Pike as well. I think got Wharton should be back in the not too, again, not too far off. Van Heck, I don't think it's that bad an injury. Um, and then Carter and McGlaw have look, looked okay. Um, so there's kind of decent cover if there are injuries at the back. We've got Bradley Johnson to come back. I kind of agree with Alex really that Mowbray's ability to tie himself in knots when he's got too many options. Um, probably midfield and wide attack is where he where he may start to aggravate fans and if results start going a little wayward. Um, you know, once Bradley Johnson's back, kind of, you know, stick to what's going to work best. You know, if he starts kind of, it's Rothwell one week, it's Buckley the next week, it's so-and-so the next week. You know, once once everyone's around, just kind of stick with what works best um, and kind of go with it. And yeah, that that's probably the only thing that worries me a little bit. Um, I was a bit worried early on about Pickering. He looked a little, not so much going forwards and obviously he scored and had some good set piece deliveries. Um, he was worrying me a little bit defensively in the first few games, but he seems to have, I think he's had a couple of really good games now. So maybe it was just stepping up to that level and getting used to a different level of football. Um, but he looked quite happy now. So kind of through the team, I'm relatively happy. Um, and I think we've got cover and options. It's just, it'll be if the goals dry up. Um, and they've just a couple of moments, you know, we should have beaten Luton. Um, and on another day, um, you might have got three points at Barnsley. You might have skanked something at Millwall just by 
being a little bit more clinical and we don't have anyone, you know, Adam Armstrong was relatively clinical. He did, you know, he was wasteful at times and shoots a lot, but, you know, he did score a lot of goals and Harvey Elliott provided some really, really high quality. And you look at his assists and when he was scoring goals, we took, you know, that one moment you get those two players were better than the other players we have currently at taking that chance. And that's probably the only thing that kind of worrying me. But then, you know, Dolan's had a couple of bad games, but had some really good games. And, you know, he's off at least off the mark. And I think, yeah, and kind of assisting things and winning the penalty against Swansea. Brereton's looked really good since, you know, what happened with Chile across the summer. And he kind of looks like an even better player than he was last season. And, you know, even Gallagher's been in the goal. So don't want to be too harsh on them. They've, you know, there was a big hole to fill. 28 goals is a very big hole. Um, but we've scored a lot more than I thought we would um, so far this season and got more points than I thought we would. So um, no reason why it can't carry on. And like you say, if we can, whether it is a favourable one of fixtures, I guess we'll find out. But it will take us nearer and nearer to having Bradley Dack Bradley Dak back in the side and that would alleviate some of my concerns about quality in the final third. Um, and all told, it seems like his recovery is going relatively well. He's in boots with a football running on the grass. So, um, you know, what we're not a huge number of fixtures between now and hopefully seeing him on the pitch. So, um, yeah. But yeah, it, I don't know. Last season went soured very, very quickly. You know, it, we know that, you know, we blanked against Barnsley. Oh, you know, one nil loss at home to Cardiff. And then it, you know, it starts to go off the rails a little it's bit. Easy, but... It's easy for your season just to fall apart, isn't yeah. it? Like you say, like, all of a sudden you lose a couple of games and yeah. you're, you're on the back burner straight away. And I think that's that's going to be the frustrating thing, I think, this season. The good start undoubtedly raises expectations. And the moment we lose a couple and we end up falling down that table, people do become antsy naturally. Um, I hold my hands up and say I definitely will, even though my expectations aren't particularly high. It's a tough one. Um, I don't think we can complain about the way the season has gone so far. Hopefully, we'll keep it up. But I guess we'll see. That's why we love football, and that's why we love Rovers, because we just know, well, we never know, sorry, what they're going to get and what they're going to bring out. But if it can continue, I'm sure that we'll all be very, very, very happy. Um, I know that it's been nice enjoying going to football, actually, and looking forward to watching them at the moment, which didn't happen much last season. So, obviously thrilled about that. Moving on, though, from Rovers' start of the season, I just want to discuss the transfer window a bit with the pair of you. Obviously... <sighs> It was a weird one. Didn't make a signing for a long time. Obviously brought in Leighton Clarkson for the first as the first one. Eventually signed Cadra. There's uh, Paveda, Van Heck, and Theo Eden. I think that's all of them. Um, one thing we didn't do was sign a striker, which we are going to get onto um, in a minute. But uh, Alex, to you first. Deadline day, just touch on it. I know it's a bit ago now. Feels a long time ago. How did you feel though? Obviously high expectations. Thought we were going to bring in a striker. In the end, uh, just T.O. Eden that comes in. What's T.O. Eden that comes in, should I say? How, how were your feelings? Were you disappointed at the lack of expectation being met? 
Um, I think if you ask any right-thinking fan, when you've lost a striker that scored 28-29 goals, what's, what is the priority for the summer? I think most people would say get a striker in. I don't think that's a revolutionary concept, really. Um, so it was extremely disappointing to not get anything over the line. Um, I accept the club's premise of don't bring in option number 10 um, for the sake of it and waste money. I understand that, but I think if you look at the window in the round, you've got to say it was pretty <laughs> pretty shambolic. Uh, you know, losing 12 and bringing in you know, half of that really and, and then not bringing in the priority position. So that you can't detract that it was very disappointing. I think obviously the window will be judged in another six months when we see how all those signings turned out. Um, but I think probably the biggest story of the window will be the contracts that weren't signed and the kicking of the can down the road again, uh, which is a massive concern uh, because you're going to have a situation next summer where you have all of the law needs from this season going back and then having another big tranche of first-team players out of contract. So I don't think people are actually seeing the... I don't think people are seeing the cliff at the end of the road. You know, the coach is going down at breakneck speed and uh, some fans in the back are shouting there's a cliff and the fans at the front nine that the cliff's there. Uh, so we'll scream for so long and we'll see what happens when we go off the edge. But... Um, you can't look at the window as a success without bringing that striker in. Um, having said that, would the 10th option have been any good? We don't know. And <laughs> I can't lie, I'd be too faced. You know, I would be the first person to come here and criticise the club for making a stupid reactionary decision on deadline day, hopelessly going around, forming trying to find the one option that was available. So... Very disappointed not to bring in that striker, as I said, but <laughs> the, the one thing I did find interesting was the way the window evolved from us having no money, being under an embargo, the confusion around why the embargo was in place. Originally, it was because we didn't file the accounts, and then it turned out we actually were failing FFP slightly and we needed the Armstrong sale to bring us back within the uh, we were at the embargo though by the, the time 39 million quid so we, we, we were out of the embargo by the time that Armstrong was sold though no. was it not that they had to be filed and then there was a delay with the filing because they hadn't gone through because of the backlog with COVID it may have been the David Raya instalments due to Brentford being promoted or some other financial instalment that meant we kind of jumped out of that kind of threshold of being under that embargo. Um, and we obviously were posited as having no money to spend at all. And then we hear stories about how the manager thinks the owners are wonderful and great people we hear this every summer and that they'd fund any signing that the manager wanted within reason and then we have fans on deadline day justifying us spending the only cash that we did spend in the whole window on a 
position where we just spent cash the previous January and only just got that player in the summer. So I did find the whole thing really confusing. And I found the whole, I'd call it the gymnastics that went on to justify uh, the the cash that we did make. Uh, Now, Eden might turn out to be a very good player for Rovers and might turn out to be that really good versatile player that we need in those positions of the pitch. But I just think <laughs> you you lose a striker and then you lose Harvey Elliott on top of that. So it's it's all creativity. You know, but then you then you, you we bring in Pavada creative side. We bring in Pavada and Kadra. So you two two creative players. Clark someone's like his creative I, player. I, I don't think that we've not attempted to to replace them and I know we're going to speak about the player that was at Brock Hall and then didn't sign due to phone the medical a bit later. So I think it's a bit unfair to say it's the attempt hasn't been made. Yeah. Maybe slightly... Uh, 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 it has been made, obviously, and maybe I, I'm not phrasing my own argument in the correct manner. An attempt has clearly been made, but we, for unfortunate reasons, couldn't conclude the signing and probably for reasons beyond the club's own control there, probably a bit of bad luck. But I always say if you leave yourself to deadline, till deadline to make your key signings, you can always have those kind of last-minute hitches that cause the whole window to kind of fall flat on its face. And I think that's what we really saw. I think my reference to not signing a striker is because you lose Adam Armstrong, who scores 28, 29 goals, you need a striker in to replace that hole in the squad. I don't care whether the system that Rovers play means that we sort of play three forwards in any which way, and it doesn't really matter which position they play. I want a central striker to come in to replace Armstrong because I know our manager is stupid enough to play a five-foot-two pervader in the middle. And I know that if we do sign a striker to replace Armstrong, he'll be duty-bound to play him through the middle. So forgive me for... Kind of, kind of trying to mitigate against our own manager's ignorance with regards to that, but that's kind of my own personal opinion on the window. No, that's completely fair enough. I think the strike thing is important. We definitely should have signed one, but it is worth noting that we are we've got a player that's starting week in week out that's averaging a goal every other game. Whether he can keep that up, we'll see. But just to play devil's advocate, Ben Burton, the as is. Scoring goals at the moment, he's got four in eight. That's not a bad record. I'm not saying he's going to keep that up, but it'd leave him on on 23 come the end of the season. Obviously, that's I'm not suggesting for a second he'll get that. It's just worth noting that the goals are still coming, even if maybe he's not as clinical as Adam Armstrong. Um, Ollie, come to you now. I think just just with um, Onteo Eden that um, Alex mentioned. Alex sort of alluded, not necessarily it's been a waste of money because he's a good utility player, but maybe money that could have been spent better, spent better elsewhere. What's your view on that? Obviously, like Alex said, we aren't in a position where we can spend a lot of money. Money that we do spend has to be spent well. We've seen previously, players like Sam Gallagher, where Mowbray's gone and spent a lot of money and they've not lived up to expectations. How are you viewing Eden? Because it's such a low fee... I think £500,000 was a suggested fee. Do you think that sort of makes it more okay because he's not got the piggyback of that big fee? 
I've, I don't know, really. I've, I can't say I've watched Lincoln City in the last couple of seasons enough to have a true gauge on how good a player he is or not. He generally played left back, I believe, for them. It's a low fee. I doubt he's on very high wages. It's one of those signings that if you've decided you had Douglas on loan, Amari Bell had been on Luton's radar for, you know, the whole of last season and they've been waiting to sign him and he wanted to go fine. Then we'd already got Pickering in. Fine, you know, if he's covered for Pickering or I know he came on and played in midfield, so if he's got a bit more versatility, then so be it. He kind of fits the mould of players we have been bringing in permanently, um, young. um, But yeah, I don't... It's fine, but I think on the window as a whole, um, I don't know, I I always tend to keep my expectations pretty low. because I don't know, um, we can't. I sort of never kid myself about where we are as a football club, even with the money from Armstrong. Um, that money, well, it has to service a percentage to Newcastle and it has to service things behind the scenes with the club. Um, and you look at sides like Derby and Reading, um, you know, we have in the past spent too much money on not very good players and paid not very good players too much money in wages. We've, you know, we've had some difficult times. We've been under embargo. Derby have gone into administration because they did that a little bit too much. Um, And I'd rather be propped up with loans and an unremarkable signing from Lincoln than, you know, staring down the barrel. So, you know, there was a there was an international tournament. The Premier League was always going to trigger the championship market because they need to know who they're signing and who they're going to sanction on loan. So the fact that all of our business happened very late last summer, happened very late this summer, people just need to get used to that because I think it's just the way the world works. The championship is, is full of young loanees from the Premier League and it all happens very late in the window for clear reasons because you have to wait for that market to start mobilising itself. Um, I think we did try and sign a striker. Um, if we'd ended up with some cash and Michael Oberfamey, I'd have been fairly happy. Um, reading between the lines, it probably sounded like he didn't want to come to us, which is fair enough. Um, whether we were ever truly in for them or not, um, I think slightly unfortunate. I think the, the calibre of striker we were probably looking at and kind of could afford would have been, you know, Blackpool and Peterborough both got promoted. You know, I think we probably would have been sniffing around Jerry Yates properly and Clark Harris, which is probably the right kind of level um, and the right kind of money to have brought them in. Um, but they've ended up they get a season in our division. So there's very little motivation for the clubs to sell them. Um, I think we tried and we failed, and we tried a lot last summer and we failed. Um, apart from Perveda, I think the loans that have come in are good. Um, and 
but if the goals dry up, it's going to look, it's going to, that's not going to go away. You know, Alex does have a point. If the goals really dry up and our, you know, our expensive strike force that's been an expensive strike force for a couple of seasons doesn't carry on scoring like it has been, um, that question mark just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, Obi say, we try to do this, we try to do this. The money being asked for is ridiculous. The money, you know, the wages players want, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you had a 28 goal hole to fill. You, you know, if it, at the moment it's okay, but it could easily not be okay. Um, and then that's when it starts to look, um, yeah, kind of naive that we didn't at least try and get something done. Um, but yeah, it's it's hard. To, it's always quite hard to talk about because we don't. We only know what we know. Um, and like you say, there was a player at Brockhall, um, which we're probably going to go on to that. Yeah. Probably would have. I think I want to go really well, so. on to that player now because I think both of you have made very fair fair comments in saying that we, we should have got a striker over the line. And, and Ollie, you, you used the word naive that we didn't do. And I completely take that. Alex, you also mentioned that perhaps it was the right decision not to just sign the 10th option because they're a 10th option for a reason. You don't want to waste money on a player that you didn't really want in the first place. You're only signing him because you have to make do with that. Obviously, the player in question is Josh Madger. Obviously, was at Sunderland for um, I think a season in the Championship. Had a very good record actually for Sunderland. Um, it was a poor side that ended up getting relegated. Moved to Bordeaux for for a decent fee. On loan at Fulham last season, scored three goals in the second half of the season um, after joining on loan in January. Madri is a player of, of of certain pedigree, and I think would have undoubtedly filled at least filled it partially the hole that Armstrong left. Alex, just really quickly, I'm going to ask you the same question before we go into more detail, so don't give me too much information just yet. Um, how, are you very disappointed that the match deal was unable to get through due to the failed medical because he had a, a stress fracture in his back? Are you, is, is that a sign that you would have wanted us to make? Definitely. I think throughout this whole summer, we, we had a host of names come through and none of them really convinced me I thought Arbafemi would maybe a possibility but none of the names throughout the window that seemed either affordable or good quality for what we wanted and that seemed like that perfect balance between affordability and quality and I think that's always something that a club like us needs to strike in the financial position we're in so it would have been in my opinion, probably one of the best signs we could have made with the budget we had. So, yeah, it was very disappointing. Ollie, just to ask you the same question, you mentioned naive before, but Madger, definitely a big name, a name that comes from pedigree, like I said, if only because he was prominent on that Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix. Um, is he a sign he would have wanted? Is he someone that would have made a, a difference? And if he, we do make that signing, are we now talking about a very different Blackburn Rovers side who have made a, a brilliant signing of Josh Madger? Um, yeah, I mean, I was saying just then that, um, you know, had we ended up signing like Jerry Yates from Blackpool, you'd go, 
okay, yeah, he's had a really good season in League One. That's good. We've got someone that can come into the first team and try and score some goals. Madger, yeah, over Famey was maybe a touch aspirational, although he's hardly done much at Southampton. I definitely um, want, I personally, though, you, you say, I would have gone Madger over Obafemi every day of the week. Yeah, so, but I think the, I'd have viewed Madger as exceeded expectations in terms of if we replace Armstrong, who's it going to be with? Um, that would have really, I'd have sort of shocked me to kind of go, oh, wow, I didn't even think that was, Madger was someone we'd even have been trying to get hold of. Um, I think for me, when I look at the system we've been playing under Mowbray, um, and then, you know, I've mentioned him last season, but like Ivan Tony at Brentford, how complete he was. If you were, you know, we play similar-ish systems. We're obviously not nowhere near as good at it. Um, but Madger just provided, you know, strength, athleticism, speed, um, and has shown that he can score goals um, as that focal point of a three that Gallagher and Brereton, I don't think are ever going to be really, um, unless Gallagher really starts to do something this season, because I don't think that's where Brereton's best position is. I'd have been really, really excited to see us get somebody that kind of really becomes the focal point of a front three. Um, And yeah, it would have been great. Um, And had we, had he been in the side and we were sat sixth with the run of fixtures to come and had already got himself a couple of goals. Yeah, I think, yeah, probably could be, we're sat here going, hopefully, we keep ticking some goals in and going under the radar. I think we might be sat here going, actually, we're all sort of slightly, you know, trying to keep a lid on it, thinking we look quite good again and we've got a really good striker. And so, yeah, but if it's a bad enough injury to fail a medical, you know, I'm not physios when you're talking about exchanging a lot of, you know, whatever the money was, it's a lot of money to Blackburn, you know. It definitely so. is. You mentioned as well, like, it's a lot of money to Blackburn, failing the medical. It's one of them, you can't afford to maybe spend, say, I don't know what the fee was, but £3 million and give them a wage of, of ten to £15,000 mm. for him to sit on the sidelines until January. It's too much for risk. Because at that point, yeah, you could be relegated or fire relegation or it could be that there's a player that's come in and, and is banging the goals and it's like, well, actually, we don't actually need you. So I don't think there's much argument with the club with regards to not signing him. I think the stress fracture could be a few months, two, three months, couldn't it? So it's not one that's a case of, oh, he's got a bit of a tight hamstring, he might miss the first couple of weeks, next couple of weeks, but by October, November, he should be, should be raring to go. Alex, just to finish on the Unmagine and finish on the transfer window segment, is it made even more frustrating that, according to Al Nixon, and for those that don't know, like I said, Magic was at Brock Hall, ready to sign for the club, terms had been agreed, um, unfortunately failed his medical due to that stress fracture. That's that's from Al Nixon. Um, according to Nixon, he chose Blackburn over Nottingham Forest. Now, he may have looked at the league and said that, Oh, well, Blackburn are in a better place. Forrest are a big name, though. They still are a big name. 
probably can afford more than us in terms of, of wages. Is it made even more frustrating that reporters suggesting that Major wanted to come to Blackburn, that that was his club of choice, and we've been unable to get the deal done because of an unfortunate injury? I think that probably does add to the frustration. I think what we've seen, particularly with Aubameyang, is it's not easy to persuade players to come here. You know, we're not offering the big players in the division, so you've got to sell them something. You know, most players in the modern era move where they're going to get more money. It's as simple as that. And can I really sit here and begrudge that? They've got a short career. Between the ages of what, 18 and 32, if they're lucky at the top level. And after that, you've got a limited number of footballs that go into coaching and behind the scenes in football. But other than that, you know, yeah, it's a change of profession completely for most. So I don't begrudge players for looking where they're going to get offered the most money. Um, I think what I would say is that quite clearly we had more money to spend than what we let on. Which is, which is always the case because you know we you don't we tell like people poverty. Of, of course you don't, but you know we we do love the good old pleading poverty and then spending five million on Sam Gallagher for example, and then not getting a goalkeeper and then getting Walton for a season. So we're good at that. I think it's just incredibly unfortunate. I don't think you can blame the player, the club, the physios, the the medical staff, the agents, the people who negotiated the deal. It's just one of those things that happens in a transfer. And unfortunately, because we were disorganised and we had the embargo and it was late until we got the Armstrong money through the door, we left it too late. And when you leave it late, those things can happen to you. And we're just going to have to learn from that. It's as simple as that. There's, there's no hard feelings from me. It was just unfortunate. Um, with a bit of luck, the player wants the move still, and we can maybe resurrect some in January. And I don't think there'll be any hard feelings in either direction, because obviously the club can't open itself up to any, you know, potential pitfalls. And ultimately, in this situation, you defer to the medical experts, don't you? And I'm. Absolutely sure that the last thing those medical staff needed to do was go to a very, very disappointed manager and break that news to him. You know, his whole plans for the whole season up in smock. That will have not been an easy conversation to have to either the player or to the manager and all of the staff who'd spent weeks probably trying to get the deal over the line. So no, no hard feelings either way. It's just an extremely unfortunate situation. It could have happened to any transfer that's happened late on. Last season, it could have been Harvey Elliott. We could have discovered an underlying thing on deadline day, and we'd have never have heard of that deal being a possibility. These things just happen. We've got to accept it and move on. One thing I would say is you think in a hypothetical world, you bring him in, Brereton scores 20, 10 more than he did last season. And then Dak comes back in January and scores 10 to 15. We've bridged the gap from Armstrong. We've closed that gap. And 
that's much more difficult without that striker coming in. So I think that's probably my final reflection on the whole thing. I think I think the one thing that disappointed me was there were some fans, it seemed on social media, that wanted to have a bite at the fans who were disappointed we didn't bring a striker in. Like, they were waiting in the wings for that. Like, you know, we do these podcasts, we support the club, we spend money, we buy match tickets, we devote lots of time to it. We want to see the club do well. We don't want to see the club <laughs> making avoidable mistakes. Um, a bit like after the game on Saturday against Barnsley, there were more comments saying, what are all these negative fans saying than there were negative comments? There were more fans batting back at the negative comments and the negative comments. So I think we all just need to calm down. I know it's rich coming from me. Calm down and accept that these things can happen on a transfer deadline day. And I think if you've seen any of the documentaries that have been released over the last two or three years, particularly on Amazon and Netflix and all these things, it really is mental what goes on behind the scenes. Um, and you kind of don't have an appreciation for how fraught these things can be. So, yeah. Move on, and let's see if we can resurrect something in January. You are right, and I think that it's not as easy as, as putting your fee in on Football Manager and just agreeing a, a deal at the click of your fingers. It, it, obviously, it's a lot harder than that. Um, what it does lead us on to, though, with the finish of that, it leads us quite nicely on to some questions from the listeners. And that first question, actually, is on that striker position. Um, it's from Chris Hayes, who asks, um, would you be looking... Um, bringing a free agent striker in, or is it worth waiting until January? Uh, Alex, I'm going to stick with you with this one. What would you rather see happen? It depends on the quality of the free agent, to be quite honest. I mean, you'd have to propose a name. <laughs> you know, any free agent, definitely not. You know, a free agent with a good track record, yeah, because we need a body in. We quite clearly have a bit of cash lying around that's been deciphered by what happened on deadline day. So there's clearly a bit of finance there to maybe do something. But I think in the situation we're in, unless it's a really appealing deal, you'd wait until January at this point, I think, particularly when the club isn't, I would say, looking like it's under major relegation threat, particularly the Derby points deduction, the way we've started the season as well. So no, wait till January and see what's available then. I think it's worth noting. I don't think anyone's got any fears that all was being relegated. I think there was a small fear at the start of the season. That's pretty much been alleviated now. Derby, obviously, huge points deduction, isn't it? After looking at Hull, I expect them to be back down. And you never know what you're going to get the likes of Blackpool, do you, and Peterborough. But moving on uh, to the next question, and I'm going to throw this one to you. It's just Dan who's asked, what does Morbury need to do to get a new deal? Ollie, are you there? It appears we've got some technical difficulties. Um, oh, he's there. He's back. Is he, is he there? Yes, Jim, but it's a tough one. Uh, um, I don't know. Uh, he has to be, well, he has to do better than last season. Um, but I don't, I think that's probably going to happen. 
anyway. Um, I think if he... What, 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 let's change the question a little bit there. What would you? What would it take for you as the club owner to offer a new deal? If he finishes seventh this season, one point of the playoffs, do you offer him a new deal? Yes or no? Oh, for sure. Because um, I think so. It, if he finished fifteenth, um, I think given what people thought was going to happen this season with the players that have left the club. It's still it's on par with what people would have hoped happened. If not, people were worried we might, if we've been competitive and end up in mid-table, um, I don't think you can turn around and say he's not doing a reasonable job. Um, Could you not argue that last season, though, was too much of a travesty given the players that we had and the money that has been spent that maybe... Spending twelve million pounds on two strikers shouldn't leave us just being competitive in the table. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, you know, Gary Bowyer did the same with arguably an even more competitive side, um, and we binned him off. And look what happened. Um, I think it depends. I find it really difficult because I don't know. We talked about this so much last season that if, you know, some people, you know, a lot of people seem to think the answer is someone like, you know, Gareth Ainsworth or, you know. That Alex Neal was at the, the Barnsley game looking for a job, apparently. I mean, did That's not me taking the mick either. Yeah, but did he do that good a job at Preston in the end? I think he had a tough finish to it, but I think he didn't. Very well with limited budget. Did he finish seventh on season? With he did. What, uh, a budget of nothing. Um, so, 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 just, just like I said, I think the Mowbray situation is really I find it. I find it really hard to answer because... I don't know. I was well prepared for him just to go last season because it was that catastrophic. Uh, yeah, I've never seen a team... The, the t- like Blackburn just go from where they were at the start of February to how poor we can happens play season, such though. a long run of games. Um, happened every season in the, in the championship under him. Not to the same degree. I don't know. The first season back, we were in touch and distance, then went on a nine-game streak where we beat Wigan and that were it. it, it it's It's... The Mowbray one is incredibly tough. I think I've said multiple times, and I'm going to throw my two penithin. Mowbray, for me, oversaw one of my favourite times as a, as a Rovers fan. I bang on about it so much. I'm too young to have witnessed Premier League victories and lifting the trophy in 95. Vaguely remember um, 2002 in the Worthington Cup. But when I say vaguely, I mean very, very, very vaguely. My dad celebrated about it. The league one was brilliant. For me, he failed ridiculously last season. He was bad. He didn't know what to do with the squad that he had. And that's his own fault because he brought in those players. This season, am I happy with his performance so far? Yes. I think he's getting his subs for the most part spot on and he is picking the correct team week in, week out so far. 
that's proven by the fact that we aren't losing games. Just the one against West Brom, and I think everyone expected us to lose that anyway. And it's worth noting that was a decent performance, all things considered. But I offer a new deal. For me, you only offer him a new deal if he gets you in the playoffs. And that doesn't mean go up. That, that, for me, the only way you give him a new deal is if he has us in the playoffs. Because at that point, I think you're backed into a corner. And I don't think you can't offer him a new deal. Because he's shown that he's got the ability to do it. But for me, the only way I offer him a deal is if, come the end of the season, Blackburn Rovers are in the playoffs. I don't care if a one point off. If a one point off, it's not good enough because last season was too much of a failure. I know I'm being ridiculously harsh there. Alex, I want to throw it to you. I know that you've probably got some opinions on it. I imagine they're pretty similar to me. I, it's, I love Mowbray as well. I really do. I think Mowbray's superb. He's done so much for the club. I just think that sometimes things end. I've described it like a relationship last season. You're happy for so long, but eventually you just part, you grow apart, and that's the way that I think it's happened with Mowbray, unless something magical happens this this season. I think you have to take into account the average lifespan of a championship manager nowadays. What is it, two years around that? Um, Less if you're back in Nottingham Forest. A lot less, yeah. Um, lucky if it's 12 months there. Um, you know, he came in, what, February 17? So we live near five years in February. And it, it, it's a long time in the modern era, isn't it? You know, you're probably talking about a handful of managers in the top four divisions that have been at their clubs longer. So you can't say that he's not had a fair crack of the whip at Rovers. Spent money as well. And spent a whack in the process and been backed by both the fans, the board and the owners. You know, it's rare, especially at our club in the last 10 years, where I would say a manager hasn't had the same level of support from all those three quarters. Uh, you've had some managers who've had the backing of the owners and the board and the hatred of the fans. You've had managers who've had the backing of the fans and not the owners in the case of Lambert. And we've had everything in between that, really. Um, what I would say on the manager is that he isn't hot property at the moment. So we should let him work for his money. We should keep the status quo as, as it is now. Let him work for his contract. I think while the club is in the position it's in the league, there is no need to make a stupid, rash decision in regards to sacking the manager or changing the manager for for the changing its sake. But I equally don't think we should be considering extending any contracts or making any long-term commitments. Because I think, as you said, Tom, you know we could easily go on a nosedive. You know, it's happened every single season he's been in charge. It's happened, in my opinion, <laughs> to a greater extent each time there is a Nars dive. It seems that every Nars dive is bigger, but he seems to manage to pull himself out of the dive. Um, I'd like him as a pilot if I was flying on holiday. Uh, if we went on a Nars dive, I'd trust Marvel to bring it back up again. Uh, <laughs> 
might make it a bit scary like but we seem to manage to uh, survive them um so yeah i think status quasis is fine but i certainly be looking to extend any contracts and i think the one thing that did make me think that we'd come to a natural break was when all the comments last season were becoming more and more odd after the games. I always judge a manager's kind of... Maybe it's wrong to do this, but I always judge a manager's position at a club based on kind of their their demeanour after the games, their demeanour before the games. He seemed to be very down. He didn't seem to be enjoying the job. It, it, it seemed like the job was a burden, like it was an inconvenience to him. And I want someone at this club who actually loves the job. It was, it's like an honour to be here. And I know we're not the biggest club in the world, but I still want the manager of our club to be proud, to be here and to kind of carry that with him day to day, as it were, kind of be an ambassador for the club. And I think Marbury kind of lost that last season a little bit. I think yeah. he, he definitely he, he started to lose it, didn't he? He went a bit more, mm. a bit more negative. And I think it's worth it. It is such a such a tough tough question to answer because I think we have got a lot of fond memories of Marbury. And like I said, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. I don't mean to be negative either because I tend to be one of those people called a happy clapper. I just think it's worth noting that sometimes things come to the natural conclusion. And it felt like Mowbray was a little bit... This season has alleviated that so far. I guess we'll just see how the rest of it goes, though. There's, there's plenty of football to be played, and that can be both negative or positive, can't it? So I guess we'll see. Uh, so another... Quite a good question, this, actually. I think you could do an entire podcast on this question. But Tim D.O. asks, The Rovers Academy costs £4 million a year. Is it better to have our model or scrap it like Brentford did and invest that £4 million into the team? Despite this question, I'm a big fan of the academy and I think it will start to pay off. I just wanted your thoughts. Uh, dead quick, Oli, because I'm conscious of the time I've got another question to ask. Do you think the academy is paying off already? Um, I think if it's... I guess you have an academy... If you simplify it down to two, the two main kind of avenues. One is you develop young players that make it into your first team and improve the first team. Um, is our academy doing that? Yes, undoubtedly, that's true. Um, you only have to look at the number of players who are regularly in the first team and players in and around it. Um, that Yeah, and then probably the other one, when you okay go to, to the very far end of success of this is probably the Chelsea model. And that's, do you have an enormous academy to make money by selling players. Um, We're never going to have that. No. So we, we do we develop players that make it into our first team? Yes. Is that cheaper than how much, how much would it cost to buy Lenehan, Travis, Rankin, Costello, et cetera, and so on to have as good as they are now? More than four million pounds, I suspect. If you wanted those, the players, their value now is a lot more than four million pounds if you were to buy them in the transfer market. So it is value for money in that sense. I guess the one thing it probably needs to do, well, let's say, 
let's say we end up selling Lewis Travis for 10 million pounds in a couple of years time, then it that we can't kid ourselves. That's ultimately what it needs to do is generate income streams as well as developing players. I think generally um, it pays for of... itself anyway. I think your big good point in the, the money, I think Stellan yeah. Ray was a product of it. He was sold for what, 3 million. You got Grant Hammond yeah. was sold for about 5, 6 million. I think there's definitely value there. I think generally it probably does pay for itself in both players that play for the first team and the value that they are. I fully expect Lewis Travels to move on to a bigger club at some point. Same with Daryl Lennon, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. If not a bigger club, certainly another championship club that maybe going at the top end of the table. So you make a fair point, and I think, like I said, with an eye on time, I'm sorry, Alex, you're not going to get your say on this one, but I know that, that your thoughts on that are that it is vitally important we keep it. I think the $4 million doesn't go towards financial fair play, does it, or something? And then there's obviously, I think, the Premier League. Dan was telling us before, Silent Dan was saying it's $1.12 million, I think, Premier League give us. So for me, the academy pays for itself. It's important to note that. And I think we already are seeing the rewards from it. You look at it, I think it's a ridiculous amount of games. We've had someone in the match day squad that's an academy graduate. United get loads of plaudits for it. Ours is, is, is a decent number as well. So moving on, and Alex, you are going to get your say on this one because I'm, I'm looking forward to a mini rant from you here. Um, that last question is from Chaddy Rovers, who has asked, do you think Rovers need to look at the price of match day tickets to attract fans back? Worth noting at the moment, it's mega expensive, I think. thirty. Four pounds or something like that for the West Brom game. If you were buying a single ticket, you wake up in the morning, you don't have a season ticket. You think it's a nice day. I might go watch Rovers. How much is a ticket? Or oh, thirty-four quid? No thanks. Alex, take it away. How long is it since I've had a rant about this topic? Is it about eighteen months or something? I think. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, probably do another one. I'll save you all a lot of minutes and I'll probably just say a few things that seem to make a lot of sense. I think we all acknowledge that Rovers is a football club that lies in a community that's one of the most deprived in the country. I think we'd all agree with that. That's been pretty well established. A lot of our fans come from very deprived backgrounds. And that's the nature of where Rovers are in the community. What I would say is that the club is duty-bound to secure as much revenue as it can for financial fair play reasons and the reasons we've talked about today. But the biggest thing for me is the way you do that. And I think the way that the club has is with the mentality of let's rinse as much cash as we possibly can out of the seven or 8,000 that we know will definitely go rather than try and grow that support base and benefit from the increased merchandise sales, the increased concourse sales, the increased exposure and everything that goes along with that by getting increased numbers of people through the door. So I think with a massive neglect of that kind of thinking, there's so many silly things I can point to from a young adult's perspective. The age range was cut. 
we weren't involved in any of the loyalty schemes that the seniors and the adults were. <laughs> I find a lot of decision making very bizarre, not very communicative with the fans. We've had history of fans being moved from the Darwin end, from the upper tier of the Blackburn end. The family staff being invented overnight, people in the lower half of the Jack Walker being moved as a result. So it seems like convenience for the people in charge is number one priority and convenience for fans is bottom of the list. Um, and I think as long as that remains the case, the longer we will keep churning this topic out again and again and again every season. Yeah, 9,100 against Hull is the lowest it's been for 30 years, I would say. Even in the League One season, we were getting more on. So, what I would say to the club is, read the room, read the area of the country you're in, read the year that we're in, read that we've just had a global pandemic, read that everyone's just had a massive tax rise, read that a lot of people are out of work, read all those things and come to the only conclusion that most people more than three brain cells would come to, which is that in the current climate that Rovers are in, we can't be charging more than £30 for a match day ticket and then adding on a levy for buying on the day. Most of our fans work zero hours contracts. They work short hours. They maybe only find out on the morning of the game whether they can go to the game. And by the time they find out that they can actually go to the game, a ticket that costs 32 quid costs 35 quid. And the decision's made. They'll so, go for a walk with their family. They'll, you know, and the club misses out on all this revenue. And the thing that upsets me is you can't have fans moaning about us having to meet financial fair play and then not criticise the club for its lack of effort in getting the fans through the door. And I read the fans' four minutes from the meeting this week and one of the fans commented saying, "We wouldn't it be good for there to be a fan re-engagement programme, which I think makes a lot of sense. And you know what the club said in reply? That would be quite difficult. <laughs> We're talking about the future of the club and, and making a sustainable fan base for the next 20, 30, 40 years. If that's too difficult, I mean, what are we here for? We might as well I think bags and go. I think if, it's... If, it's... If, 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 Generating interest in the fans and generating interest in the club and getting fans through the door is possibly the most important thing any club can do. Bringing on the new generation, you know, encouraging young fans to go to the games. I, I just think that all of that's been neglected and I think we've had a very London-centric way of doing things, which is fine if you're in London and you can charge those prices. But we're not in London, are we? You know, we're, we're in Lancashire and it's a poor area. And 
the people in charge need to take into account that and that's my seventh rant on the topic and I'll say the same thing next year and I'll say the same thing the year after and I'll say the same thing the year after that that while these folk are in charge they'll keep doing the same things and we'll keep bringing the same topics up they don't have an understanding of what the working fan in Lancashire goes through when deciding whether to go to a game or not they've never been in that position they never they don't understand it so they're never going to they're never going to orient their ticket policies around it it's as simple as that really and and i think it's a, no. i think it's a massive massive shame it isn't alex if that's short and sweet well i don't know what is because that was rather long <laughs> i'm joking of course it's you, you, you're right in what you say, and I think it's good having you say it with such passion as well. Um, it's important that it's spoke about. I think for me, everyone speaks about 20s plenty. I think the Premier League adopts that for away fans. I think you can charge your home fans whenever you want. But for, for away fans, I'm pretty sure that the thing is 20s plenty. For me, I work shifts. So I've got a season ticket this year, but I won't be available every single Saturday, so I don't know if I'll be buying one next year. Now, why why would I go and pay £34 to to go and watch Blackburn versus West Brom? If I think, you know, I'm not working today, I'll, I'll go on go on Ewood and watch. The idiot in me probably would do, because I like watching football, I like watching Blackburn. But you're right, it's tough. And I think, I, I doubt very heavily that that Rovers watched this podcast and I doubt they'll hear it. But if, if they were to, I would honestly encourage them to rethink it. Not asking them to give us £5 tickets every single match day, that's unreasonable from us as fans, but £22, £24, I don't think anyone would grumble at that. People were talking about how reasonable Blackpool's tickets were at 23 for the away day. I could stomach that. For me, it's something the club needs to look at as a matter of urgency because what I think they're doing is under Mowbray and for the majority of the t- of Waggett's tenure, I think the club has been brought back to the fans and I've credited them both with that in the past. I don't necessarily speak to Mowbray now, but I speak to Waggett in saying that I think he's going to undo a lot of that work if this ticket hike remains. People will become frustrated. And that is understandable because I don't see how you can speak about it. Mowbray can speak about his press conferences and the, the fans' forums when we were doing them in person. I don't see how he can sit there and speak about how Rovers is a working-class town and he's not afraid to admit that he went on to Borough with his dad where they'd sneak two people in for one ticket and speak about how he wants to bring that and he knows what it means and then charge £34. It's unreasonable. And I would implore Waggett to look at it because whilst I don't know the intricacies of running a football club, and I'm sure it's very difficult, especially after COVID, I would wager, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I have too much faith in the fans, I would wager that if you charge £23, £22 as a standard match day ticket for every single game, I would wager that a significant amount of fans would slowly return because they would look at it and say, you know what, that's really good value. Same with season tickets. For me, they're a bit too expensive. Um, and I had a good Alex, but I've just gone on for about three minutes there as well. So 
who's the who's the who's the fool, me or Alex? Ollie, who's the bigger fool? Uh me or Alex? No, very salient points, both of you. Nice. Just, just frustrating. I think it comes from a place where we want what's best for the club. And I know that we're an hour and 15 now into the podcast. So, Dan, I'm very, very sorry. Um, but it's an important thing to speak about. It's important. And I, I do thank thank General for the, the, the question because it, it's a wider topic that needs being discussed, needs to be discussed. And it's something that I think Rovers need to seriously look at. Um, and it's a shame because I think generally this podcast is pretty positive. So it's a shame that obviously that's one thing that's in the background that we're thinking of. And uh, people can't necessarily enjoy this early season form of Rovers because tickets are so expensive. Um, and with that, I think we'll stop talking about that because I don't want to uh, get Alex too angry. Um, and I'm sure Ollie wants to go and look after his child. I, I thought I heard yeah. him crying. <laughs> yeah, I've got a screaming before. baby, yeah. Yeah, congratulations, by the way, for those of Ollie um, is, is a new father. So I'm sure everyone would pass on congratulations um, on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, how are things going with that, Ollie? Uh, probably worse having recorded this for an hour and 16 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, on that note, we will um, wrap things up. I'd like to thank, obviously, everyone for um, listening. I'd like to thank Alex and Ollie. Ollie, you go and do your father duties. I know they're very important. Um, and I'll leave you with the final message from our sponsors. Thank you. The Rovers Chat YouTube channel is proudly sponsored by SixYardsOut.com. They've got retro football from every era with mugs, phone cases and much more. They also have plenty of Rovers goods including apparel with the famous 94-95 season and this season's kit. Check them out using the link in the description below. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.